0: Welcome to this week's Title Now pop-up webinar. Hi, I'm Melissa Murphy with The Fund, and um, we have these weekly pop-up webinars on a variety of topics. They've been pretty well received, so we are gonna keep forging ahead with scheduling these uh, and have some great topics that are coming up in the next couple of weeks. And a reminder that they are every Thursday at noon. They are free, uh, and you just need to register with the links that we send out to you a couple of times a week, a few days ahead of time. But if you can't make it to the Thursday webinar, we also have the opportunity for you to listen in on the uh, just audio version of this, which we will push out on our podcast, which is also called Title Now. So that makes it pretty easy to remember. So just sign up for the podcast, uh, however you sign up for the other podcasts that you subscribe to, and you will be able to listen to the audio version. So I invite you to do that. And so as with other uh, webinars, we are still focusing on the um, effects of the pandemic in our world of real estate law. And uh, this week, we're gonna focus on the effects that uh, the pandemic has had on evictions, um, both commercial and residential, because we have found that those areas um, have both been affected. We're gonna talk specifically about the impact of the governor's moratorium on residential tenancies, Um, And the nuances of that moratorium, it is currently set to expire on July 1st, and we will talk about that in a couple of different contexts. And then you add in the Supreme Court prohibition on the issuance of writs of possession. Now, that was a much broader prohibition, um, and hot off the press, we now have an expiration date for that um, order from the Supreme Court, it is now set to expire on June 30th. So it remains to be seen if that will stay in place. So I have with me today as my guests, two fund members, Mark Brown and Gil Ballou. They are both dealing on almost a daily basis with the effects of the uh, pandemic uh, on their clients and the moratorium. And then you throw in there, they've got some local orders that they have to do with. So welcome, Mark and Gil. Thank you. You're very welcome. You. Uh, why don't you each tell our audience a little bit about your practices? So I'll start with Mark.
1: Um, yeah, I um, I have a title company. And then I also have a law practice where most of my work is foreclosures and evictions. Um, as I got my start. Doing foreclosures first for many years, and now I um, handle both landlord and tenant work for more commercial than residential, but also residential evictions as well.
0: Are you a sole practitioner? Yes, yeah, just just me. Hi, right, Gil, what's your life like?
2: Uh, so, Gil Belu, uh, I'm actually been a fund member since 2001. Um, very similar to Mark, just a little bit older. I've uh, <laughs> uh, been running a title agency for, for many years. Um, I have a real estate practice as well, uh, where we handle primarily foreclosure defense um, and a lot of commercial and residential evictions, try to steer more towards commercial. Um, I also manage several commercial properties in Broward County, so I've been, had real firsthand experience in actually dealing with some of these issues that, that uh, we're going to be discussing today.
0: Well, let's start with that, Gil, because you relayed to me when we were chatting yesterday some of your uh, personal experiences with uh, dealing with tenants on the properties that you've managed. Um, so tell us a little bit about how those interactions have gone.
2: So, you know, as we discussed, and uh, I'm sure it's been discussed on other panels as well. You know, there's there's the practical side of things and there's the, the legal side of things. Right now, there are a lot of legal hurdles, which we're going to be discussing later, um, to actually going through and completing an eviction. Uh, so that leaves t- landlords in a state of, okay, what do we do now? Some tenants are, are educated enough to know that their landlords are going to be kind of stuck getting evictions. I have no idea. Um, and, you know, a landlord really is going to have two main concerns right now. Right now, of course, concern number one is getting paid the rent because they've still got to make their mortgage payments. Um, And issue number two is, well, what do we do with tenants who can't make their full rent payment? And what we've been doing personally on the properties that I manage, as well as what I've been encouraging my other commercial clients to do is to really work with your tenants right? So, you know, if you've got a tenant that had, let's say, a hair salon or a nail salon or some sort of business that was closed and they come to you and say, listen, I know my rent is $2,500 a month. I can't do that, right? I've got, you know, a thousand fifteen hundred dollars that I can pay you. Uh, We've been working with a lot of our tenants and I've, again, been encouraging my clients to do the same in either working on rent deferments, rent abatements. Uh, You know, the important thing for the landlord is to keep that up, right? So, so that the first thing that's key, I think, is communication. I know a lot of landlords, including ourselves, including us, have also helped our clients that are maybe not so good with paperwork apply for the PPP loans and the EIDL loans and explain to them what they can use those funds for. And now that we've dropped down to, um, I think, 60% of the loan funds have to be used for payroll that's more money that can go into the rent and still be forgiven. It's almost like a grant for these clients that were holding for these tenants rather that were holding on uh, uh by by a single thread. You know, then the issue comes up, and we had a nice conversation about it yesterday of what do you do to the tenant that's dodging your calls? Um, and you know, we're gonna get into some of the practicalities of it, but you know, sometimes the threat is more potent than the execution. And sometimes putting up that three-day notice will get the tenant's attention if they're dodging your emails and phone calls and will help get the landlord on a better footing with them to start getting paid so that when they come out of this pandemic, instead of being four months behind and really having to make it up, they're a little bit less behind and it's easier to work on a payment plan to, uh, you know, to pick up those deferred payments.
0: Sounds like you've been uh, giving your landlord's And really practical advice uh, to just not worry about the technicalities of the lease or of the moratoriums, uh, the various local orders, but just what makes business sense here. So, Mark, have you experienced the same thing?
1: Yeah, so I have um, one client in Broward County who has several properties where April 5th, he reached out to me and said, I want to file 20 evictions. All these people aren't paying. I don't care. I want to go forward. And I had to really talk him off the ledge. Because, first of all, at that point, and even now, the judges don't necessarily know what's really going on The the court still. So to get an eviction done, who knows how long it's going to take? And then he has to go ahead and try to find a new tenant for all these places. So I recommended him trying to work it out. And by the time you know, that week was up, it was down to four or five evictions that he still wanted to file. Um, for example, one was a chain sandwich shop where they never closed. There's lines out the door still, but yet they said, oh, because of COVID, we're not going to pay. So, things like that, I told him, you know, go ahead. You can still file an eviction. I mean, obviously, they can afford to pay the rent. They're not hurting. But then these smaller shops, mostly it's strip malls, mom and pop shops, work it out because it's beneficial to everybody in the long run to do so. And that's really helped him in the end. Only like one or two of these evictions really had to go forward, and they're still pending now because of all the issues with the court. Um, On the other end, I have a client who has two gyms at two different properties. They're shut down. They're just opening up now, but they have these group classes where they went from 40 people. Now they can only have 10 people in the class. So one of the properties worked it out. They deferred three months of rent to the back end and the other property just doesn't care. So it's, it depends on the landlord and it depends on the on the tenant. If everybody can work together, I think in the end, it definitely is more beneficial than trying to just fight it out in court. Yeah. Let,
0: let's talk for a moment about The technicalities of the governor's executive order. Um, Let's deal with with what it says. So I have it in front of me, and the language says, I hereby suspend and told any statute providing for an eviction cause of action under Florida law solely as it relates to non-payment of rent by residential tenants due to the COVID emergency. So, you know, a lot of stuff to untangle there. Um, so clearly the intention was that this moratorium applied only to residential tenancies. So first, just some reaction to that. Did you experience confusion out there as to that limitation? Did people think it applied to all tenancies?
1: Am I in? yeah. I mean, I had... Have- People who calling me, oh, I don't want to pay my rent. I can't pay my rent. Um, I was told I don't have to no matter what. So these landlords, it's it's not, I don't think it's 100% clear what really can and can't be done as far as, you know, this is what we talked about yesterday. If you can give a 3 day notice even, if you're there's technically no statutes anymore, or it's just everything's on hold. So it's it's been very confusing. As, and as we mentioned, counties have different orders than the state does. And then, you know, so we have one. Side saying one thing, and the other side saying nothing can be done. So it's been really tough to try to figure out, at least on my end, what to really can be done.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. At the end of the day, a uh, a residential eviction is a statutory and a contractual uh, cause of action. So there's there is some confusion there. But at the end of, the, but really, what we're finding, um, and I think Mark has found this a lot more than than I have with the residentials, is that the clerks won't let you file. They're not going give you a summons. Um, and, you know, we have local orders that intersect with that, that make it even more difficult. What what I've been encouraging my residential landlords to do when they have clients who are having difficulty with the rent is very similar, you know, to, to what I'm telling the, the commercial ones is that, listen, if these people can't pay their rent, work with them, right? Uh, because what's going to happen is to tell really a really tenant that it's in their best interest to work with the landlord, because at the end of the day, great okay, eviction statutes are told and suspended for you know two, three months, but if you come out of this and you're four months behind, you're never going to get caught up, right? And on the same token, if you come out of it and you're two months behind as a tenant, there are ways to get that caught up, you know, extra payments, things like that. And it's really about encouraging the tenants to do what they can now and show some good faith so that, You know, as a landlord, you're able to pay your expenses on the property, um, and also be able to keep them on as a longer-term tenant.
0: So recognizing that a practical uh, solution might be best, uh, what do you think about the argument that the executive order or the moratorium makes specific reference to statutory eviction, statutory? Um, provisions providing for an eviction cause of action versus making the argument that you also have a contract. You have a contract in the form of a lease and that contract says I can evict you after a three-day notice. Do you think that would hold water?
1: It's one of those things where I think someone would have to fight it, you know, and it would get to a point where you can't even get these evictions really filed to find out if it's something that you can appeal or something, you know. I mean, it's, I, I think there is a conflict, and even the Federal CARES Act goes down, too, and has different limits on evictions. So there's all different these players limiting what you can do, but no one really knows what's actually correct.
0: Well, it seems like it's almost I mean, a good point, because you can't get evictions filed. Um, you can't get them process through the courts. Um, I tried to get numbers from the statewide clerks association as to how many evictions are are pending in the court system, but I did kind of ask at the last minute, but I also am not sure that they even track that information and could tell us because I don't I don't know if it's 10,000 evictions are pending across the state or 50,000. Um, I really don't have a good feel for uh, the magnitude of this problem. But regardless, um, there is some difference of opinion as to how to interpret the moratorium. Let's talk specifically about how, how broad uh, you believe the language of the moratorium is, and specifically things like, can you give a three-day notice during the period of time prior to July 1st? Or does the moratorium even apply to the landlord's ability to give a three day notice?
2: I mean, listen, I think you can always give a three day notice. It's not like you could be penalized for putting one up. It just, that part of it, you know, is it like just doesn't. Um, I can't see how it would work against you. On the same token, whenever it comes to dealing with <clears throat> with residential three day notices, commercials are, are another beast because unless it's required in your lease on a commercial on a commercial uh, um, <clears throat> on a commercial lease, you or for a non residential property, you really don't have to give a three day notice. There's no right. statutory requirement for it. It's just a useful tool, unless it's required by your lease. With residential, I'm very conservative because the the uh, the consequences of a small technicality in a residential eviction are are really weak. And, and, you know, it's always you're playing for time when you're dealing with residential eviction. So if you are if there's even a question that your three day notice is wrong, um, in general, even without this pandemic going on, I've always told my my landlords, listen, It'll cost you three days, maybe five days, right, up front to do a new new three-day notice. We can get the eviction filed like that. But if we're six weeks or four weeks or three weeks into the eviction and it gets dismissed because of a minor technicality, then you've got to start all over from scratch. I'm always very conservative when it comes to small errors in a three-day notice. Um, and so this one, I would say, you know, the same before, sometimes the practical effect of putting up the three-day notice is to open that dialogue with the tenant. Uh, but I would recommend to any of my clients, if you're putting up a, a three-day notice on a residential property prior to any of this, uh, prior to the, um, prior to the moratorium expiring, put up a new one afterwards, just take the extra three days. It, it it'll, I think, make it much easier.
0: Yeah. Mark, do you agree?
1: Yeah, no, I I definitely agree because like evictions, at least in South Florida, aren't fast anyways. So to have to start all over again, as opposed to just waiting an extra three days, makes, you know, makes practical sense. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: So let's talk a little bit about these local orders that the two of you are dealing with down in. Um, you both practice in Broward and Miami Dade, Palm Beach also. Yeah. Okay. So, what are the local orders that are in place there that are causing confusion or heartburn?
1: In Broward, it's, they're just right now the issue. You can't issue a writ of possession, um, and then it's until court operations are normal again, and that's not very clear. We don't really know what. Consider normal court operations. I mean, right now we have, I've, up through the end of July, I have everything I've got scheduled hearings that are all through Zoom. So I don't know what they consider to be normal or what they don't.
2: It's a separate Brown County order. Um, it says that until, and it was just updated, I think yesterday or the day before, and what it says is that until the court resumes normal operations, you can't get a default, you can't get rid of garnishment, you can't get rid of possession. And I will tell you, I've been practicing in Broward for almost 20 years. I don't think court operations have ever been normal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's probably That's the other side of the problem. Even if you could get your eviction filed on a commercial property, right now, the way it's set up in Broward County, or right, even, I'll tell you what, even on a residential for an issue other than non-payment of rent, let's say you have an expired lease, right? Right. Technically, under the Supreme Court or under the governor's moratorium, not a problem, right? Because it only uh, residential tenancies adds to non-payment of rent. Lease being terminated is not non-payment of rent, right? Lease being terminated by its own terms, right, should be a cause of action that's okay. The only problem is that in Broward County right now, the clerk can't issue a default at all. In order to get a default from uh, from a, to get a court's default, you need to show um, exigent circumstances justifying the need for a default. So, any tenant that talks to legal aid, or has a friend that's an attorney, or is educated enough to, to kind of look at this stuff on their own, will see that yeah, great, you can serve them, but they don't have to respond. You cannot get that default absent an exigent circumstance and I don't know what kind of exigent, exigent circumstances are going to warrant um, a default being entered, maybe if there's a public safety issue or something like that, but it really, the deck's kind of stacked against you right now. So uh, I want to get back to one of the practical things we were talking about before is sure. what do you do with a tenant? And this goes either residential or or commercial <clears throat> that says, listen, I'm not going to be able to keep my doors open, right? Um and let's say they've got a balance left. And this is really more a commercial thing. Let's say, you know, they've got four years left on the lease. So what do you do? Right. You take the key. What I've been telling my clients, listen, take the keys, have them abandon the security deposit, see what you can do to get a settlement payment out of them uh, to say, listen, you've got five years left on your lease. I'll trade you for two months rent um and this way you get the money for the two months right you get a property that's left in good condition if somebody turn over the keys and there's always you know that when they open a new new business later they're going to have a good recollection of you and one thing that we've been finding is that right now um retail space especially for people with you know class b and C shopping centers retail space is flying uh we've had you know we had two months where my clients we couldn't give away space in our retail centers And now all of a sudden phones are ringing off the hook and we've gone, you know, one of our centers went from uh, 75% tendency to hundred percent in two weeks.
0: That is so surprising to me because I would have Mm -hmm. thought the pandemic would have the effect of people not starting new.
2: Yeah. We're also, you know, it's also smart right now to offer a move-in special, right? If your place is going to be sitting vacant, say, listen, we'll give you two months or three months rent abatement up front to get you in the door. You might as well, because space is just sitting there doing nothing for you anyway. This way, you've got a tenant that's within. Really but yeah, they're enterprising uh, um, people that are either expanding or opening a new business and are really looking to get in. I know we've settled like four or five cases in the last two weeks with tenants that were looking to get out, and we already have new people in the spaces.
0: Right. So, Mark, right. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and ask you to predict whether the governor will extend the moratorium past July 1st.
1: I don't think he's going to at this point. I think he's of the, you know, the position, everything needs to get back to normal, get the economy going, like get everything flowing. So if he's going to continue, and he's pro-business, so if he's going to continue having these evictions hold off, especially, you know, the people who, they're not getting the rent money, they can't do anything either. Like, He wants to get things moving. So I think at this point, it's most likely going to stop and things are going to pick up. Now, I don't know what that's going to do as far as locally, what the counties are going to do, but statewide, I think they'll probably lift
0: it. I tend to agree with you. Maybe it helped that the Supreme Court came out yesterday and said that their order. Expires June 30th, so maybe that will help. Um, but my prediction is that he will not extend it. Gil, you have a contrary opinion?
2: No, not really. I, I don't think. Well, I'm not, I have to tell you, I'm not sure. With the, you know, uh, with, with the the restrictions on evictions and foreclosures on government-backed loans for residential properties being pushed out I think through the end of July that might empower him enough to be like listen there are enough other protections in place that I don't really need to do anything um so I I think if he does extend it at all which I don't think he's going to do but if he does extend it I think it's going to be a qualified extension it's not going to be blanket it'll be you know certain you know either I I think honestly he's going to keep the foreclosures up and running And if anything's extended, it'll be the moratorium on residential evictions for non-payment of rent.
0: So we have a few minutes left, and I would like to make sure we talk briefly about the CARES Act and uh, the (coughs) FHFA uh, notification that went out yesterday. So tell our audience about that. Mark, I'll start with you.
1: Um, So through the CARES Act, if a landlord and residential property has an FHA loan or any kind of government back loan or it's a Section 8 housing, they have to give a 30 day notice before they can even evict. And that 30 day notice came and go out till right now, till after July 25th. So as oh. of now, they can't even start evictions till the end of August.
0: That is, that is new knowledge for me based on my conversations with you all over the course of the last couple of days. So that would seem to have a fairly wide impact here in Florida. I certainly had several clients back when I was in practice in Gainesville that had Section 8 housing um, and probably had government-backed loans on their residential properties. Um, But that would seem to be separate and apart from whatever the governor does here in Florida and whatever the Supreme Court does and whatever local governments do. Gil, what's your uh experience with that? Do you agree with that assessment that we that on those properties so, the landlords' hands are really tied?
2: They are, but again, those are only for uh for for either direct FHA loans or for loans that are backed by Fannie or Freddie or one of the other GSIs. Um but I think it's really interesting. I, you know, I was really thinking about it. I like why are you putting in section 8 into this whole thing? You know, with Section Eight, for those of you who aren't, you know, don't fully understand the program, the landlord is getting somewhere between seventy-five and I think ninety or ninety-five percent directly from the government, and you have your Section Eight applicant paying really what's a pittance, right? Well, if you read the Section Eight contracts, there is a requirement for the landlord to evict if the tenant is not paying even that small amount, right? So. They really had to put this in effect for Section Eight landlords for specifically that reason. Otherwise, their hands would be tied, and they would, in the other direction, their hands would be tied, and they would have to file an eviction. Um, otherwise, it becomes like a whole, a whole, uh, you know, a whole fraud thing. But I think some of these things are overly generous, and you know, I have to tell you, as someone who rented out a residential property that I used to live in. Um, puts you in quite a position because now what happens is you know you're not getting rent from your tenant, you can't evict them. you can ask for that deferment on your mortgage payments, but at the end of the day you've got to pay it back a lot of times in a lump sum right there's been no nothing on the other end saying well how the how these deferments are going to be handled. so in a way, you know for the the small property owner, I mean, someone who's not a you know landlord with multiple properties. This really could be a nail in a coffin for some people, and I think there's going to be a lot of problems stemming out of that aspect of it.
0: Well, not all landlords are created equal. That is for sure. And there are landlords that are in a position to weather the storm a little bit, but I'm sure you both have clients where this whole situation has really put those landlords in a bind because they rely on that rental income to make their mortgage payments and, you know, they're not getting any corresponding relief. I am not really trying to take the landlord side 100% in this webinar. Um, So we need to keep an open mind as to both sides of it, Uh, but it certainly is, um, I think we can all agree that it's a a tough situation uh, for everyone involved. And, The last question I'll ask both of you in our minute or so left is, what are we going to do if none of this stuff is expired? What are we going to do on July 2nd when we have all of this backlog to deal with? How long is it going to take us to work our way through what has been created here? Mark?
1: As far as if things open up again or if things are if if everything
0: expires and and you're allowed to go for it. How long is it gonna take your landlord to get somebody out?
1: (laughs) I mean that's the thing. Like we never seen the courts where all of a sudden there's gonna be these county courts that can't handle these huge caseloads. There's gonna be hundreds of evictions, I'm guessing, filed all at once. I mean people are waiting because this started in the middle of March. So there's nothing that's been going on since March. So there's like three months that people already gonna be four months for rent. Like Gil said, they're not going to be able to pay it all at once anyway. So there's going to be a lot of evictions. Even people have made some partial payments, and all of a sudden there's going to be such a backflow. It's going to take months before the sheriff gets the writs and the issued and stuff like that. I can't even imagine what's right. going to happen.
2: It's going to be like, – honestly, it's going to be like what the foreclosure courts were in 2008 through 2000 and 14, 15. There's going to be such a backlog. It's going to be ridiculous. Um, But there is, you know, the summary procedures that are going to speed it along a little bit. And it's interesting because the tenants that haven't been paying are going to be moving out, but hopefully they've saved some money up and be taking the places that other people are getting kicked out of. It's going to be like a lot of lateral moves. Right. So again, I'm encouraging landlords to work with the tenants because it's in everybody's best interest.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Well, we are out of time. Thank you both so much for agreeing to do this and taking time out of your busy schedules. I know everybody's busy. Uh, Thanks to all of our people who attended and uh, watched. Next week, we're gonna talk about more pandemic related stuff and talk about force majeure clauses and contracts. And I have a great panel for you next week. So with that, I will say thanks for listening. And as always, Thank you for your support of the fund.